podcast this week, think of your favourite halls. Royal Albert, obviously. Kids in the, of course. And also, Rebecca Hall, who is here this week to talk about her directorial debut, Passing. Plus, the usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast. It is right as rain and raring to go after contracting near death. And now we're back, back, back in the pod studio within contagion distance. <laughs> Yay! Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hello, pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast, which, if everything goes according to plan, may well be the last Empire Podcast, because we're back in the booth. We're back in the booth this week, and I tell you, I'm not infectious. Uh-huh. My mm-hmm. sense of humor may be, is it and though? my jolly bonhomie when it comes to films almost certainly is. Mm. Yeah. Am I right? Mm. Hello? Hello? Uh-huh. Oh, it's no. weird being back here with you. So we had this, we, we were together, mm-hmm. and then we were apart, and now we're together, together again. Together It's like Scott and Charlene all over again. It is, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Oh, Kylie, Kylie's leaving. She is. She's, she's leaving. leaving us. Yeah. She's she, abandoning she's us. She's leaving. We've met Australia, Helen. Have you not heard? Yeah. I have not. No, I just yeah. saw she was singing with Ollie Alexander, so I was, I was yeah. hyped. And clearly, as a result of that, she's now moving back to Australia. Yeah. Sorry, Ollie. I don't believe yeah. him. He's responsible, but yeah. okay. I mean, they do have more sunshine and, you know. Everything there tries to kill you. The Except ten some of the sheep. Land snakes in the world. Mm. All ten? All ten. Wow. All ten of the deadliest land snakes in the world. And I cannot stress that enough. The deadliest land snakes in the world, because sea snakes will fuck also you up. Also well. fucking deadly. Yeah. And mm-hmm. they're not like that far away, the sea snakes, are they? No, they're not. They're, some of them are actually now, because the seas are getting warmer for some reason, I haven't really been paying attention. And uh, so some of them have been cr- uh, popping up in New Zealand, which of course has gone down badly. Uh, because New Zealand, of course, is uh, a bit like Ireland and the Houses of Parliament, entirely snake-free. Does, do you think we're going to have to sort of introduce aquatic whacking day? I beg your pardon? A what now? Aquatic whacking day. for that? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, only at family beaches. Remember uh, the time we went to Thor Park and we were asked to leave? <laughs> you remember whacking day? You don't remember no. whacking days in The Simpsons? They have whacking day where they kill the snakes with sticks. Oh, right. Yes, yes, whacking yes. Whacking day. Yeah. So sea have, snakes are yeah. very venomous, or can be very venomous, uh, but um, are because they haven't really been brought up in environments where they meet humans a lot. They have. They don't. They don't. They, they don't, they don't tend to bite out. Well, it's the they same d- way that like shark, sharks only attack you if they think you're a seal, mostly, because they don't care well, about a humans. A seal if they think you're a seal. Like a, the guy who sang Kiss no, they're, exactly. they're actually big fans of seal. They hear they you think singing crazy in the water and they just come yeah. over like, you. If it, yeah, if you sing mm. a kiss from a rose, they will actually go away because they're like, we respect you, dude, right. and, and that'll okay. be okay. But if, you, but if you're not, if you're like making seal sounds, oh, then no, it doesn't yeah. go well. <laughs> Is that what a seal does? <laughs> yes, I Chris. believe so. Okay. We may have gotten slightly off topic. We may have gotten off the topic. Who knows? Uh, anyway, um, welcome both to the Empire Podcast. Uh, I am, of course, this week joined by my two colleagues of such lethal cunning. Uh, we have a geek queen and a proponent of the controversial and unique no but school of improvisational comedy, <laughs> Helen O'Hara. <laughs> How are you? Yeah, that's me. Hello. <laughs> that is you. Uh, yes, I, d- I did get told off on Facebook for s- trampling on the jokes, apparently, and, and to which I respond, eh. <laughs> to, which I, to which I respond by trampling on a joke. <laughs> uh, yeah, you are a joke trampler. You're, you're tough on jokes and tough on the causes of jokes. Yeah. Shut um, it down. Shut it down now. <laughs> yeah, you were Walt from Nakatomi. Um, so uh, you have just been getting a happy ending. What was that like? Wow. This is an I interesting mean, direction. I mean, to me, I'll be honest. Uh, <laughs> uh, you had a massage in Lusty Beg? I oh, just assumed right, it was a porn yes. thing. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I did go to an island called Lusty Beg, which was not nearly as, as lusty as I expected. Um, there weren't lumberjacks walking around shirtless. 
with great big axes. No, but, but also like lumberjack shirts are great. Why would they not be wearing their shirts in this fantasy? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, the uh, no, I was I was on an island uh, resort in Northern Ireland. <laughs> there are such things. <laughs> How is this even a thing? This is like and it's a little tiny ferry. Like you remember the the when they have the argument with the mayor and Jaws, and they're on that tiny ferry that goes across that tiny strait. They have one of those to get to the island. It was super cool. And um, and this is this is a place called, and I'm not making this up, Lusty Beg. Lusty Beg. And it is nothing to do with prostitution. So it's a Northern uh, Irish sex island, of. is essentially what we're saying. No, I mean, I went there with my family, so I can confirm it is not, not a sex island. I'm not judging, Helen. I'm not judging. Like, Oster whatever says, they want, yes. the horrors choose to do in their spare time is entirely up to them. <laughs> we're very sex positive on the Empire podcast. Well, that's lovely yes. to hear. But again, not a sex island. Just like that means no, something I'm, different in I'm Irish. Positive I'm never going to have sex again. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, it feels that way. Um, <laughs> yes. Oh, dear. It is indeed a lusty bag. We still have introduced our third colleague of such lethal cunning this week. He is, of course, our great big fucking nerd and a proponent of the unique and some would say controversial school of improvisation called Well Actually. <laughs> it is, of course, James Splaining himself, uh, James Dyer. He who explains, yes, I am here. <laughs> Just wait you. till we get onto the House of the Dragon trailer. Oh, oh please, oh, God. please, God, no, please, God, no. We did a trailer talk in the office for this week, and it is the, it's going to be the first trailer monologue that we've mm. run in the issue where it's just me That's talking. That's not true because you did a Picard trailer as well, and That's true. nobody else got a word That's in true. edgewise. Did we run that in the end? No, no, I didn't think it so. Was it was going to be just me talking. Because <laughs> the point is not to monologue. Yeah, it was you talking and seven other people losing the will to live slowly. Yeah. Not unlike this podcast, but there's just two yeah, of you. Indeed. Anyway, hello, welcome, welcome, hello, welcome, welcome. Hi, how, hi, are you, hi. how are you yeah. both? Yeah, I can't really get mm. Should we have a question? Sure. All right. So, uh, no three fact structure this week because there's only three of us. Uh, I will say, a foul shopaholic who is a beloved uh, listener of the show and who sends in loads and loads of questions to our uh, spoiler specials uh, every single week. I believe she's from Australia. So, she'll know all about the 10 deadliest land snakes in the world, including, of course, the Taipan and the brown snake. Know your enemy, folks. Know your enemy. <laughs> Did they run out of like inventive names? So, like, oh, we got the Taipan, we got the Cobra. We got this one's the Brown Snake. Like, yeah, what that is was it? it? It's a, it's a it's brown snake. snake. And it's brown. Like, yeah. have some imagination. What would you call it? I don't know. The, the Marmite Viper. The Cockbiter. Yeah, the Cockbiter. <laughs> <laughs> that would probably make people so. Hundred percent. That would yeah. top everyone's list. Yeah. Truth, it's a Cockbiter. It's a tip nipper. <laughs> Watch out, mate! It'll nip your tip. It'll rot right oh. off. Right. Anyway, so Foul Shopaholic <laughs> has been asking about the whereabouts of Ben Travis on mm-hmm. the podcast recently because we've been kind of going back to the three people structure, uh, especially when we're in the when we're in the studio at the moment. We're 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 we've got four microphones, four mics, but uh, we're <laughs> we're not quite at that stage yet where we're going to have a fourth person in the fourth chair. Until next week, when we will have a fourth person in the fourth chair, Ooh. but I will reveal their identity at the end of the podcast. He's, but he's ben, the designated survivor, isn't he? Ben, like, yeah, so, we can't travel together. Exactly. So he stays in the office so that if we all, you know, die in some horrible mic-related accident, he's there to carry on without us. <laughs> or we get, you know, attacked by a tip nipper. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Cockbiter! <laughs> anyway, uh, so Ben isn't on the naughty snap. Uh, don't worry, foul shopaholic is totally fine. Ben will return, like James Bond, uh, to the podcast soon. In fact, we recorded something with Ben we just did. yesterday. We did, yeah. Just yesterday, a spoiler special for What If. So if you, you can get your, your Ben fix, your fix of Travis. You did a spoiler special for What If without me, but what of the valuable things <laughs> that I would mention from the two and a half episodes I bothered to sit through? I, I don't understand. It is, it is a shame. I, I'm surprised that we didn't ask you a famous hater of... Famous. 
relatively no no one knows who you are uh, <laughs> hater of animation you're yeah. an animator hater I am so no I am. I'm not bad I'm just drawn that way <laughs> <laughs> you are bad I am and bad and I'm drawn that way, that way. It's what fair. if James Dyer was on the what if spoiler special <laughs> it would be unlistenable <laughs> is pretty much what it well, would be well actually yes uh, I think you'll find it shit <laughs> I mean then... he, if he hasn't even watched the Lower Decks uh, series then what I watched the first episode to decide for myself that it wasn't worthy of my attention Star Trek is no laughing matter, Helen. <laughs> I know, but it is also really funny. You're really funny. Hang on. Thanks. No, wait. Woo! Woohoo! Yay! Yay! Didn't trample on that joke. <laughs> there was a joke. There was a joke. Okay. Yeah. Barely. Okay. All right. Uh, so, anyway, if Ben isn't on the naughty step, you'll be delighted to know, which is good. Ben will return at some point, and we do have a question. Okay, bring it. Question is it comes from at Circle Friction. Oh, God. With Dune, oh no. Yes! yes! <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Woohoo! Are we going to move into the Butlerian Jihad? Is that what we're going to talk about on this podcast? I literally did discuss the Butlerian Jihad yeah. in the office and yesterday. My ears just up. And, <laughs> and James genuinely suddenly turned around to the seat and went, What? This feels like something new should be on the menu at Lusty Bird. <laughs> Can I have a, a Butlerian, butlerian Jihad? Butlerian Jihad. Yeah. 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 Served yeah, in, by a Talaxian. Is that like an enema? No, it's in like Butler's Jihad, like Butlerian Jihad, you know. So. Um, you're you're going to regret asking. Don't, you? Do, yeah. Don't do it. Butlers. Don't do it. Are, so no. Okay. Are the butlers are the it's victims not, of the no, jihad, not, or they perform the jihad. No, there was a person I think called Butler. Gerard Butler. Okay, it's a it's a very small point. So basically, in Dune, there are no computers, and that how, is because how do they right. That's do Tetris because <laughs> you know that's a very good question. How they do Tetris? We've never actually seen that. James, in how Dune. do they do Tetris in Dune? I need to know. <laughs> they just they that's because... and just form shapes with their bodies and jump out planes. <laughs> That's because of the Butlerian Jihad, which was against artificial intelligence and super mm. smart computers, and that's why there are none. That's right. why the entire civilization in Dune depends on spice to be able to navigate interstellar space, because that's that's what enables them to. Because if jump. they had iPhones, they wouldn't need the spice. I I, I think that's the implication. Mm. Yeah. Well, I'm not interested. They also have all. mentats, which are human computers, exactly. who drink the juice of safu to give their thought speed. Well, I've got I've got man tits. That's close enough. It's close enough. <laughs> With June about to come out. Woo! What are the best movies set? June. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That's this week's listener question sorted. What are the best movies set all or in part in a desert landscape? I mean, okay. Star Wars. <laughs> Lawrence of Arabia. <laughs> this is this is a- All right, Captain Obvious. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Just say pitch pitch black. Pitch perfect 3. <laughs> pitch perfect 3, The Desert Years. Yes, that's good. I like that one. Ice Cold Lanix. Flight of the Phoenix. Phoenix. Both Flight of both the Phoenix. Flight yeah. of the Phoenix. Lo- both Flights of the Phoenixes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Flight of the Phoenix. Yes. In case people don't know what it is. Oh, okay. Uh, a, a plane crash lands in a desert. Which is unfortunate. Which is sad. And captain and crew have to basically rebuild the plane and mm-hmm. relaunch it to get out of the desert. Yes, they do. Priscilla, queen of the desert. It's a tip nipper. It's a tip nipper. <laughs> it's a real tip nipper of a film. It's possibly offensive to Australians. <laughs> Almost certainly. We've lost all These of Australians. Accents, the accents, the film. Not the film, all of the this. accents. Yeah. I think it's spot on, if you ask me. But <laughs> I do think someone down there should have the brown down snake where? officially, well, down under, should oh, have the word. brown snake Golly. officially renamed the tip nipper. I think this is this is something we need to make happen. Can, can we set up a GoFundMe? We this is a thing or a change.org. <laughs> but we don't know that it particularly targets the tip, do we? It I mean, doesn't matter. I mean, it's, you know. It's not even really brown. It's more of a tan colour, isn't it? So, <laughs> okay, yeah, okay. But I think we should uh, we should lobby long and hard for this <laughs> to happen. 
Yes. What else? So, uh, so Flight of the Phoenix, Robert Aldrich directed the first one. I think 1960. Might be wrong Sounds on that. Sounds about right. I think 1960. Uh, really great film. Remake, not as great. But still directed by John Moore. Still pretty mm. decent. Uh, and I had Dennis Quaid and yeah. Hugh Laurie back in the days when it was like, he was pre-house. And it was still a real thrill to see Hugh Laurie pop up in a film because it was like, oh, hang on, that's Hugh Laurie, the funny guy from Blackadder. Blackadder. <laughs> and a bit of Fry and Laurie. Mm, yeah, oh, yes. Yeah. Um, so what's he doing in a serious movie with, well. his, with his shirt off? James yeah, what's, and what's, what's that about? But uh, yeah, decent film. Yeah. Uh, it's no Stargate, though. It's no <gasps> Stargate. Stargate. I love no that Stargate. film. Ishtar. But Helen, did you watch Stargate SG-1? Not really, no. I, I find it so, hard to... So just to be clear, Babylon and 5 and Babsot was good for you, but, but Stargate was somehow beneath you. That's what we're saying. That's absolutely what I'm saying. Oh my God. I'm God. Were you excited when you heard that Babylon 5 is being rebooted? I we mean, should probably do this in we're news. We're getting into the news yeah, section. Yeah. I, I am cautiously op- very optimistic. Mm. That doesn't make much sense. Because he's going straight to Sheridan. There's no Sinclair. He's going yeah. straight to Sheridan, which makes sense. It does, but we should probably talk about this in news. Okay, let's do this in news. No let's do this in about. news. But uh, in terms of in terms of desert, I've, I genuinely like Stargate as yeah, a great. as a desert movie. It's I think great. it was really fun. Yeah, the desert bits of the Fifth Element I also love, but for much the same reason. Like More it's very bad. much. No, but before that, Aziz Light. Oh yes, you know, really <laughs> Aziz like Light. Yeah, that is good stuff. But but yeah, I mean we're 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 kind of skipping Raiders. This. Raiders of the Lost Ark. Raiders of the Lost Ark. We're skipping past all the biggies here. Yeah, it there, feels there are like. lots of biggies. Yeah, um, who I can mean, forget Resident Evil Extinction? So you know. I can. Yeah. Well, I've been trying. In fact, I have. I have. Which one's that? Is That's that the, one the one with the extinction. Isn't that the one with the line at the beginning where they say that the virus dried up the rivers? <laughs> yeah. Yes. I'm still... Yes. That's the bit I'll never forget. We don't, I'm we like, don't know how? the viruses can't do that. We don't we, know. There's we, a lot of stuff we don't know about the viruses. Yeah. I, d- I, I feel like that is one we could probably just lock down as not a thing, but okay. Uh, well, you know, you say that, but uh, as you keep saying on the show, Helen, you are not a scientist. So. <laughs> That's true. If you are a scientist out there and you would like to tell me how mm-hmm. viruses can dry up rivers, I am all ears. Thanks so much. The neutrinos are mutating, Helen. They yeah, are. Again, I'm also seeing. not a thing. <laughs> and I have heard that from scientists. Are you going to call Jimmy Mystery a liar? In this instance, I think Jimmy Mystery would be with me. Okay. That's, that's what right. I think. You can say that, but... Uh... Pick a Mad Max. Any Ooh, Mad Max. Uh, Fury Road. Okay. Two. Done. Fine. Okay. Both of them. Three. You can't, both. you can't have three. One. Sure. Real tip nipper. <laughs> <laughs> that's what kills him. Tip nipper is, of course, the bad guy in Mad Max 2. I'm <laughs> 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 right thinking. Vernon Wells, Wells is tip nipper. <laughs> Oh dear! Boy, oh boy! Oh, uh, we yeah. may have yes handed this one to its uh, to its natural conclusion. <laughs> uh, there, I mean, there's so many. What's the film in which the line "I hate sand" gets everywhere? I thought it was a bit, but yeah. you've genuinely no, you've forgotten it. Got, what, what is it? When he's what, standing there, he's what's, like, what's that movie? That oh, I, now I remember it because it's a five star <laughs> experience. It's what a masterpiece! Yeah. So um, any Star Wars film, right? You throw a space mm. rock at a Star War, and you'll hit uh, you'll a hit bit desert. set in a yeah. desert planet. Am I right? Many of them, at least. Many, many wonderful desert planets. Maybe not Empire. Empire. Does Empire of any sand? Does it get everywhere in Empire? No. No, it doesn't. No, there's swamp. Mm-hmm. There's snow. There's clouds. There's cloud. But no Asteroid. sand. Asteroid. Mm. Dagobah go. seems gritty. 
I'm sure there's lots of bits in the swamp. It's not sand. It's not it's sand. It's not desert. It's literally miscellaneous the, shit. It's the opposite of desert. Yeah. I don't know if you're aware of this, James, but like desert is the absence of Again, water James, and rain. Don't listen to her. She's not a scientist. Planets are not only one thing, Helen. <laughs> well, they are in Star Wars. <laughs> What's over there? More swamp? Oh fucking hell! All right then. We'll explore I mean, honestly, that. we could have a discussion about Antarctica. Which is technically the place with Please the least rain on Earth. Please let us have a discussion Earth. about Antarctica. But I think we're talking about hot deserts right now. Oh, oh, Quantum of Solace deserts, has that cool bit in right the now. in the South American desert. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, I'll accept that. Um, he, he spoiled Quantum of Solace. Yeah, he, I think we can towards the end. They did. Yeah, yeah, they really did. Hey, come on now. There's also desert in the Living Daylights. There's a bit of a Lawrence of Arabia parody going on mm. in, in Living Daylights. I think it's Living Daylights? Yeah, pretty sure oh, it's Living and Daylights. I don't know if we count the Martian, given it's meant to be Mars. But yeah, but like, it's set in Wadi Rum, so... Yeah, well, I mean, everything goes to Wadi Rum, yeah. right? So yeah. Lawrence and Martian and Dune and many, yeah. many, many more. Mm-hmm. And so many Westerns obviously have Raiders. bits uh, set in the desert where people maybe get lost on the prairie or in the desert and they run out of water. There's a really funny gag, of course, that par- that plays on that in Three Amigos where Chevy Chase, they're, they're riding along, they're parched, they have no water, they, they, they're completely being destroyed by the sun and Chevy Chase then takes out his water bottle and <laughs> just drinks from it for ages whilst Martin Short watches on. And Steve Martin, obviously. And then doesn't he pour it over his head he as well? He pours it over his face, then he, then he gargles with it and spits it out, <laughs> and then he just throws it away, and the water just, <laughs> he just throws it away. And the water leaks into the, uh, into the sand. Glorious. It's a glorious movie. Uh, have I mentioned Ice Cold for Alex? Ice Cold you for did, Alex? You, you mentioned that's a it existed. Film. That's, um, <laughs> Golly, it was yeah, filmed on Lusty Bag, actually. Yeah, it's really... <laughs> It really is. Not a great porn, I'll be honest, <laughs> which someone doesn't want to have sex. Uh, ice cold for Alex. Ice cold in Alex. Uh, so that is about uh, soldiers who are stranded in a desert and they're trying and they, they keep themselves alive, essentially, with thoughts of getting out of their predicament and having a nice sink in an ice cold pint. And I first became aware of this movie. You might remember mm, this. From the uh, advert. From the advert, from the Holston Pills advert. Um, which, which back in the eighties, if you can remember such, a, if, if if such a decade even exists, right, folks? Uh, there were a series of adverts for Holston pills in which the comedian Griff Rhys Jones was inserted dead men with don't wear plaid style into footage from existing black and white movies, and he would riff amusingly with these things. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ice Cold and Alex, the bit at the end, spoiler alert, they get there and they get to the bar and they they all sink a pint and John Mills. Buy me a pint, James. Buy me a pint. Um, yeah, and so that's that's a great film as well. The Jamie Mummy. Thompson. The Mummy. The Mummy. The with, the, mummy. with the sandstorm, with the mouth. Oh, fucking great. There are so many films. Wake and Fright, which I mentioned repeatedly on this show, is a fantastic Australian film. No tip nippers in sight. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. you will be de- you'll be delighted or um, distraught to find out. But it is an absolute Cracker, wake in fright. The good, bad, and the ugly. Wolf Creek. Wolf Creek. Yeah. yeah. Which does not have much of a creek in it, if that's any. No. Comfort people. Absolutely not. Uh, Walkabout, while we're talking about Australian movies, mm. although it was directed by Nick Rogue. Yeah, there's something about the desert. But I hate sand. It gets everywhere. It gets everywhere. Uh, is that it? We done? We're done. Let's just mention Lawrence of Arabia again in case anybody missed it at the start because somebody won't have been listening to that and will go, how did you talk about the desert without mentioning Lawrence we, of Arabia? Because we shouted Lawrence of Arabia and then we moved on. Immediately, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So with Lawrence of Arabia, we know it's the desert movie. That's in the bank. That's that in is the bank. safe. It's money Boom. is safe. Super you're, 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 you're Lawrence of Arabia, money is safe. 
Let's see what you could have won. Lawrence of Arabia 2. A speedboat. <laughs> a speedboat. Oh, no. No use in the desert. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't that that whole thing with Bullseye, where there were no, th- no use sort of like up north on council estates either, and you had all these sort of like people, landlocked people with fucking speedboats in their front gardens. Yeah, but the idea from, is that you bully. sell the speedboats. Yeah. Not, you know, you're, I think you're maybe not giving them enough credit. <laughs> just, I don't know what to do with speedboat. This is before eBay. How did you go around selling speedboats? What do you mean, how do you go around selling speedboat? In speedboat trader, you know, or um, you just put an advert into the local paper, speedboat for sale. We'll accept <laughs> 40 pounds or nearest <laughs> offer. I don't know. I don't know how to do it. On that note, that is it for this week's listener question. Thank you so much to Circle Friction. Um, for playing right into James's wheelhouse by mentioning <laughs> Dune. Yes. Dune! And would you guys say that Dune, which I still haven't seen, oh. best movie set in... A, is, it, is it good? Is it good? It's very good. I, I, like, I'm not going to get into a Dune versus Lawrence of Arabia discussion because I'm worried what James will say and mm-hmm. he'll ruin his career if he says the wrong thing. <laughs> but, um, but it is really good. I'm just saying, how many sandworms were there in Lawrence of Arabia? I mean, that, that, that is true. There were very few giant sandworms in Lawrence of Arabia. Is there a scene where um, our hero, mm. Paul... Atreides. Big hair. Mm. Yeah. Paul Big Hair. Yes. Great yeah. hair. Yeah. Um, Such good hair. Is there a bit where he sees a sandworm across the desert and it takes fucking ages to arrive? <laughs> there kind of is, actually. <laughs> yes, there yes. is. <laughs> Genuinely. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, yeah. Brilliant. I, I look forward to it. I, I still haven't seen it. Um he, he, they use thumpers. They stick them in the ground to summon tip nippers from the desert. Not, not the rabbits. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yes, they use thumper the rabbit to summon tip nippers. Well, that's what you would do because the tip nipper will be attracted to the rabbit, and then you grab the tip nipper and and trap it. Or ride them as they do in Dune. I wouldn't ride a tip nipper. No, that's asking for trouble. I'm just really worried uh, where you're going with this next, especially okay. with the mention of rabbits. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. Oh well. Uh, let's move on, shall we? Probably best. Let's move on. Okay, so if you want to have your question read out in the FR podcast, there's only one game in town at the moment, which is Twitter. So you can slide into my DMs. I'm at Chris Hewitt, or you can reply to any of my tweets, as I think Circle Friction did, or you can wait for a panicked shout out every now and again. I did one this morning. I did a panicked shout out, but um, I uh, yeah, I didn't really see anything that that really floated my speedboat. Twitter was in fact the only game in town this week because all the other ones went down. I it know. was yes. It was okay. It was a glorious moment in time. Except I needed to get in touch with you guys about some podcast stuff and the, the WhatsApp up. group was down. Yeah. yeah. I just used people like running from house to house, showing their neighbours like Polaroids of things and asking for <laughs> validation. It was a really strange time. <laughs> what a strange time indeed. Uh, should we move on to movie news? Helen, let's talk about Babylon 5. So <laughs> oh, <laughs> J. Michael Straczynski is recreating Babylon 5 for the CW. Babylon 5 is a big pile of shit. It's not. Get out. Nah. That's, the res- <laughs> that's know, a great response. Know, How do you not know? I do know. I just, every time you say it, it annoys me so much, I can't do it. Just no aut- buts. <laughs> Automatically. There's a joke. I must trample on it. I can't. I got to. Oh, amazing! But so, but <sighs> yeah. uh, CW is not the destination I would have chosen for this. I would have chosen a nice, lavish streaming service with big, 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 big budgets. But we take what we can. Foundation get. style, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, uh, for people who don't know, which I guess is most people, J. Michael Straczynski, who co-wrote the first Thor movie, he's done lots of great stuff since. If you haven't read his comic Rising Stars, I highly recommend that too. Um, he is. He wrote Babylon Five um, in the nineties. It was uh, an arc series so it had a full arc for the entire planned five seasons which was unprecedented pretty which was much unprecedented, in that pretty much un- yeah. unprecedented at the time and and i think influenced a lot of the sci-fi that's come after it but uh they had problems because they 
looked like they were going to be cancelled after four seasons, frantically rewrote to fit the fifth season into the fourth season, then got renewed, so they had yeah. to come up with a new fifth season. It was very confusing. Oh, no. But seasons like two through four of Babylon 5 are still fucking great, and I will absolutely stand over that. Mm. Yes, the effects budget was 50p and half a packet of crisps, yeah. not even a full packet, but... doesn't get you a lot, does it? It doesn't, but the, the ideas were fucking great. It was proper science fiction. It, it dealt with big moral questions. It dealt with big sci-fi concepts. It had a giant war against a super-duper evil people. It, it was amazing. Carter. It, well, it, look, it was just great. No, I like I liked Babylon 5. I watched it for a long, long time. Um, periodic reminder that Helen joined Babsock at university and was a proud card carrier. I was member. not, there was no cards and I wasn't particularly proud of it. The oh, point is, okay, okay, so the point is when I went to university, it was like, and I'm aging myself here, but it was like, I think season four or something. And I was not going to miss it. I had to see it, but this was before people all had their own TVs and computers and stuff to watch TV on. How was I going to get hold of it? The only way to get hold of it was to join Babsock. Honestly, fair play to you, because at university, I became painfully, even more than I am now, painfully shy and very self-conscious. Yes, yes, you are famous for your shyness. Hermetically sealed. And I didn't join any, or indeed form any, socks or groups or stuff like that. To be clear, it was going without me. No, 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 yeah. And I went along with my friend, who I won't name, to protect the guilty. And we were... Steve. Tarek. Did you just give your friend's name up? No. It's instantly. <laughs> so anyway, we You'd went along rubbish under torture. And, and watched the episode and then were absolutely horrified to discover that there was expected to be discussion afterwards. And we oh were both my like, God, so you sat around like a book club and talked no, about no, it. Other people sat around and talked about it. We sat there really awkwardly looking at each other like, do you think we can go now? So Helen, what did you think about the moment when non-ambassador Jacquard came in and had it out exactly, with uh, Rondo Malari? It wasn't quite that but it was not a million miles off um, and luckily everybody else seemed to feel the same way we did so they just got on with the next episode in fairly short order thank god yeah. but yeah it wasn't it wasn't ideal okay good I'm glad we covered this anyway so a new one is a good thing the fact that J. Michael Straczynski involved, is involved is a good thing it can only have better effects literally it is not possible for it to have worse effects yeah it was all done in light wave it was genuinely it, it terrible it was genuinely like so so basic um, but uh, I just hope that they, they have as many great ideas and they find a new way to if they are going to reboot it if it is going to be a, a sa- another version of the same story that they find a way to make it feel fresh and exciting and interesting so you say reboot so are we, are we talking Bruce Box Leitner well so his character John Sheridan appears to be the, the main yes. character of this new version so in the in the original episode, I'm sure you remember Chris he came in in season two yes to replace um, Commander Sinclair Sinclair Captain Sinclair Right? And he was I commander. don't remember his rank, actually. Anyway, Sinclair oh. was the, the lead of the first season, then he mm. got replaced by Sheridan, but he came back and had a role to play. Um, but this is all going to focus on Sheridan, so I, I don't know how that works. I'm excited to see what they do with it. I, is it a parallel universe or something? I, is it? I don't know. I'm excited. Will we see Galen the Techno-Mage? Who knows? Or dares to dream? Or Will cares? Jack the Ripper be back as a torturer? <laughs> Who knows? Is that what happened? Yeah, he I came. I can't remember that. Yeah, he was... Wow. Just, just for those of you who weren't, you know, alive... Nerds in the early 90s. Um, uh, Babylon 5 was the show that Star Trek people looked down upon, unfortunately. like There was an, there was an amount of snobbery. Having said Having that, Babylon said that, 5 then went on to shape Deep Space Nine, which exactly. is the greatest of all Star Trek. So exactly. who had the last laugh? Babsock, that's who. Any desert in Star Trek? Yeah, loads. Star Trek? Mm. Not in Babylon 5. No, but we haven't no. mentioned earlier on, we, when we were talking about deserts, we didn't mention mm. Star Trek. 
Yeah, Planet Hell, they used to call it, which was the little soundstage that they used for most of the planet things. And that, that was deserty sometimes. They went to that rock they had in Bill and Ted. Bill and Ted as well. Bill and, oh, Bill. When, they, Bill. when they got um, killed by the evil robot Usses. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. When yeah. he totally loogied on that good dead him. Oh, desert <laughs> stuff. Um, uh, casino. They get buried mm. out in the desert, don't they? That's People true. who transgress. I feel we've <laughs> passed this segment. Anywho. I know, but I, I, I saw an opportunity to, uh, to revisit it. And Fine. Well, well, steer anything, from, the conversation Babylon away from Babylon 5. If we're seeing opportunities to steer things, let's talk about House of the Dragon. Now, what I'm going to do oh, is boy. I am going to spare you the inevitable 20-minute monologue that I have about this trailer and simply say, if you wish to hear my thoughts on the, uh, oh, uh, no. the House Why? of the Dragon trailer, then do listen to the next episode of the Pilot TV Why? podcast. That wasn't better. That was worse than your monologue. But I've spared you too, and at least that's something. Well, I mean, bottom in the edge. Hey. Break. There we go. <laughs> Thank you. Happy birthday to that joke. Yeah, God. Oh. I was going to do you two joke. I, I was, I was yeah. mulling it over. I, I, <laughs> I decided to. I lost my edge. Yeah. I was going to say you pulled back from the edge, but okay. Yeah. But I'm going to do it for free because uh, I'm a big advocate of pro bono work. You're really searching for a Clayton idea right now, aren't you? <laughs> Look, I'm going on with this podcast with or without you, so just fucking sort your shit out. What are we talking about? Yeah, How's the Dragon? It, I saw the trailer. It's got people with blonde wigs in it. But well done. It's it's a, yeah. It's the yeah. Game of Thrones. It's spin good, off. good people. I, you know, Paddy Constantine. We love Paddy Constantine. Yes, yes. Yeah. Matt Smith. We like Matt Smith. Um, it's King Viserys the First. Oh dear, God. not Matt Smith. He's no, he's demon or Damon. 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 Yes. Yeah, but why is it spelled weirdly? Because he's a Targaryen prince. Stupid spelling. Stupid show that smells of pee. Um, but we look forward to it every day is Christmas Eve here at the Empire Podcast. Uh, any actual film news? Because this has all been mired in the small screen. The toxic quicksand oh of the small screen. There Such was, is my plan. There was big, big news this week about um, strike action, which is not something you often hear in Hollywood. Is that the new Jerry Butler film? No. Well, West I mean, it also be. Uh, but... Nearly unanimously, uh, the union behind entertainment workers, basically, um, the IATSE, um, has voted to strike because of their, frankly, awful working conditions. And if you read some of the stories online about the kind of conditions they're working in, we're talking, the union signed a, signed a deal ages ago that was meant to limit their hours to 14-hour days which, you know, Chris works regularly, but normal people think is too often, <laughs> too much. And uh, and frankly, even the 14-hour day is seen as more of an aspiration for a lot of productions than it is a reality. So they, and the, for this, they are paid uh, relatively low wages. They are given very, very little job security, very, very little support. And it's just become, I think, intolerable. So um, there is now um, a strike ongoing, the first in 128-year history. Um, that members have, have voted for a strike and they did so by over 90%, which is an, just an astonishing, astonishing number. So this is going to be um, probably painful in the short term um, and there is going to be a lot of toing and froing. We're going to hear a lot from, I'm sure, the studios and in particular the streaming services because a lot of this relates to the fact that the streaming services are not uh, signed up to some of the the kind of same profit mm. share arrangements and things like that 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 have been in place in the in the past, and so it, it's it's further eating into members' um, wages and members' earnings. Um, so I think there were, there is going to be probably a little bit of a um, back and forth in the next few weeks. We're going to hear some criticism of the strike, I'm sure, from people involved. But at the same time, I think they're absolutely justified and need to do this to to even things up. 
it's crazy, isn't it? Because we we've been on many sets over the mm. years, and the hours that oh, crazy. people work yeah. on mm-hmm. films is wild. You know, and and I know other people in other professions, nurses and doctors, work extraordinary hours, mm-hmm. and HGV drivers, and all that sort of stuff. But it is it is crazy. You look at people's call sheets, and you know how they're expected to work until the wee small hours, and you have a little bit of a break. And I'd never really considered though before the idea that. I just always assumed, and maybe it is the case over here, that you know they have union drivers and whatnot to take them to their houses or to their hotels no. or wherever they're staying, and that isn't clearly always the case. But you know, this has been highlighted recently, not just in terms of behind the scenes people and uh, crew members, but you know, it was one of the schools of thought behind the reasons behind Bob Odenkirk's recent heart attack were the long hours that. He's been working on Better Call Saul. Yeah. and TV can be particularly t- yeah. demanding. William Peterson collapsed on the set of CSI Vegas, the CSI reboot recently. And again, the, 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 the insinuation, the suggestion there was at long hours, because TV especially mm. is just mm. a real grind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You're almost making a movie sometimes or a movie, yeah. you know, especially these movies, these, these cinematic TV shows. You know, they're, they're going for cinematic quality, but on a TV budget and a TV timescale. And so the hours are ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so something has to give, I would say. So this is, you know, this is um, a, a, a righteous and noble thing. Mm. I would, argue. I, I would. Well, you also, like, you mentioned, sort of like other professions where people are paid, you know, low wages. And of course, there are many of them. I think the problem here is that there's. I think it's shown put into stark relief by the staggering inequality because obviously, mm. principal on-screen talent get paid such extraordinary amounts of money, and then people off screen yeah. essentially like production crew get paid relatively little and work insane hours and i guess that it, it sort of shines a light on it doesn't and, it like, and, uh, i i historically actually it's not the on-screen talent getting vast sums that annoys me it's the execs and the, the studios themselves and the mm. and the you know the, the producers themselves making vast <laughs> sums that tends to annoy me because at least the on-screen talent is Bringing something to the table yeah, is the sort they of are. you know yeah. the, they're they're bringing their name, their face, their their and charisma, their contributing whatever. to the revenue. Yeah. Exactly. Whereas there are people in the in the system who I would go after first. Having said that, you're right. The disparity is insane, mm. and I hope that some of them, and many many of them, have come out in support of this strike and have come out in support of the um, the, the people behind them. But we definitely need to equalize. Things and, and this is not. This goes far beyond entertainment into the wider world. As you said, it's it's doctors and nurses. It's people across all sorts of professions. Uh, we need to uh, get more money for those at the bottom and less money for those at the top. Uh, especially after a pandemic, which saw millionaires yeah. and billionaires coining it, <laughs> and everyone else struggling but, to get past. But it's not always always about sort of like money specifically, isn't it? It's about the fact that whatever your job, no one should have to work those kind of punishing hours or schedules no matter what you do especially if you're you know working in a movie industry where it's not as if there isn't money available to properly resource these Mm. things it's obviously maximizing profit using the resources they have it's like hire more fucking people for god's sake hire more people pay them fairly yeah it's not that much to ask no it really isn't on an unrelated note uh, our latest spoiler special is uh, for Marvel Studios Disney Plus animated show What If it is available now for all spoiler special subscribers behind the paywall and I would thoroughly recommend that you listen to it because I was up to 2.30am finishing it. So <laughs> This is what I'm saying. Like I've t- We've had this discussion, Chris. Yeah. You need to maybe not do 10 people's work. What if Chris worked 9 to 6? What if? 
Uh, there wouldn't be many podcasts being made. <laughs> for Bender, I'll be honest. Let's talk about Regé Jean Page, shall Always we? Okay with that? Because he is going to star in a new heist movie, which is very exciting. It's going to be directed by Noah Hawley, creator of Fargo and Legion mm-hmm. on the small screen, and it's going to be produced by Joe and Anthony Russo, who have just worked with Regé Jean Page, who of course is a hunky man from Bridgerton. And that is something that's going to be happening. Yeah, so they've just worked with him on The Grey Man. Man. Yes. That's the the Hunky Man film, isn't it? That's the Hunky Man film. That's the film that, quite frankly, I'm not sure how we're going to get through it without vomiting because it's uh, Ryan Gosling, uh, Chris Evans, yuck, Mm. Anna de Armas, no thank you, (laughs) and uh, Regé Jean Page. I'm just going to play that back to you, okay? And I just want you to listen to what you just said about yourself. Mm -hmm. You said Ana de Armas, no thank you. Disgusting examples of human beings. Wow. Just loathsome. Yeah. Repellent. Mm. Mm. Not really. Well, nothing to add to that. Very, very hot is what what we're trying to say. Uh, So Rachel Sean Page, he's going to be hot in a heist. Hot heist is what it's going to be called. (laughs) Let's talk more movies. Hey, there's a new musical being planned, you know. Great. Tilda Swinton is starring. It's a musical uh-huh. about the end of humanity's time on Earth. And she Sounds will be good. joined by George Mackay and Stephen Graham. Uh, it's called The End. Of course she will. It's a, it's a movie in production. Of course <laughs> Stephen Graham's going to be in it. <laughs> <laughs> and Joshua Oppenheimer from The Art of Killing is behind the film. Um, wow. So it's the last family of humans on Earth. Good stuff. Um, yeah. Sounds great. Speaking of musicals. Did you see the trailer this week for Tick, Tick, Boom? I did, yeah. Which is the directorial debut of one Lin-Manuel Miranda. Never heard of him, Manny, as we call him on the podcast. Uh, the creator of Hamilton. And um, a lovable lamplight. Ah, from Mary Poppins Returns, isn't he? So, uh, <laughs> so this, is his, uh, this is his directorial debut, and it is an adaptation, a big screen adaptation, of a musical about Jonathan Larson, who was the guy who created... Rent, not the concept of rent. No, that existed. But the musical before Rent, yeah. The musical, yeah, and uh, stars Andrew Garfield as and Tobey Maguire and Tom Holland. And, uh, <laughs> wait, are no, you wait, mixing it no. up? Sorry, sorry. It stars Andrew McGarfield. Andrew McGarfield. <laughs> Love him. It stars Andrew Garfield as right. Jonathan Larson. Yeah, it does. And looks looks pretty good. Pretty good. I'm intri- I'm intrigued by this. I, I don't. I didn't immediately like glom onto all the songs. Um, but maybe with a bit of repetition, they they will they will catch on. So you know. uh, this is this has been on Broadway, right, or off Broadway, or something. This is an existing musical. Am I right in thinking? I believe so, that... which I have not seen on stage, but it is. Right. Yeah. So it's about him kind of struggling up um, to to write and produce and get rent made. And there's a lot of talk in this uh, in this trailer about you know getting the workshop together, which is where you get a bunch of people who can sing together to sing through your musical and present it to would-be investors and, and hopefully get it on stage. Um, so that's kind of what I think we're mostly building to throughout this film. But it's him working dead-end jobs while he tries to write this musical on the side, basically. So it's kind of like the struggle and the dream of, of Broadway, I suppose. Exciting stuff. Tick, tick, boom. It's Not the be only Netflix. musical this, this week either. What? More um, musicals? Yeah, they're, they're... there was a trailer for Joe Wright's uh, musical take on Cyrano with Peter Dinklage starring as Cyrano. Now... The 1990 film is one of my genuine all-time top 10. I freaking adore it. So I'm a little bit wary of anything that messes Mm. with Cyrano. John Nettles is the definitive Bergerac. (laughs) That's a stinging rebuke. (laughs) You're both dead to me. 
dead to me. Did you know that Cyrano de Bergerac actually existed and was one of the very so first John Nettles. and was one of I'm the impressed. very first science fiction writers? Why don't you get told off for trampling on my dick? <laughs> <laughs> hey, first of all, one number one. That wasn't a joke. All right, oh, that, that wasn't a joke. Fair. It was a fact. Yeah. Tra- fact trampling is, is apparently okay. Yeah, I mean, you can fact trample all you want. Like you guys have been trampling all over the three fact structure for ever since as, it was well, accepted yes, because mm. it deserves to die horribly. It does mm. be trampled to death. But yeah, Cyrano <laughs> de Bergerac was real. He was a genuine science fiction writer in the 1600s. He died at the siege of Maastricht. So there you go. Did he? Oh wait, be- no, that was D'Artagnan. But he was there. What the Muscahound? Yeah, but D'Artagnan actually existed. The other three musketeers, not so much. I'm not kidding. Here's a question. Look in D'Artagnan up. and the Three Muscahounds, why wasn't Porthos respelled P-A-W-T-H-O-S? I feel they have missed an open opportunity. goal and they missed yeah. it. That's what that is. Yeah. Huge, huge, huge <laughs> missed goal. Uh, okay, that's exciting. The thing you were talking about. Serrano. 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 Yeah. I've always pronounced it Serrano. Why? But is it Serrano? Yes. Serrano de Bergerac. Serrano. Did the real life Serrano have a big nose? Um, he wasn't. Yeah, he wasn't handsome. Like it's not. It's not 100 like drawn from fact or anything. But it wasn't 100 made up either. So right. it's you know it's but basically like the the Gerard Depardieu film. I know he's problematic, but the film is fucking great. I love it. I love the score. It's amazing. It's uh, and the Steve Martin Roxanne very very good as Roxanne. well. Um, even the truth about cats and dogs, which gender swaps it, not terrible. Mm-hmm. So this will probably be at least decent. I'm not 100 sure of the musical yet element but you know fingers crossed good stuff good yeah. stuff we're looking forward to that and uh, we're looking forward to seeing it in the cinema and segue cinema is back box office Bond Venom yes big box office records have been smashed once again which is uh, quite frankly a relief because um, I didn't think that would happen again to be honest so No Time to Die has opened incredibly well here in the UK it opens in the States this weekend it has earned twenty no eighteen point eight million pounds in its opening weekend, uh, which is one of the biggest of all time. Uh, and uh, if it continues at its current pace, may well um, be up there with the likes of Skyfall and Spectre at the UK box office. Ooh! So, uh, which is tremendous. Denny Villeneuve's Dune is slowly but surely maybe closing in on enough money to make Dune Part Two yes. a reality. And and the, the best news for cinema, quite frankly, Venom Let There Be Carnage made $90 million in its opening weekend in the States at the weekend, uh, which is the new stateside record for the pandemic box office. I suspect Bond is about to beat that, and fairly handily as well. Would it be irresponsible to discuss the other Venom news, which has been doing the rounds this week, which arguably yeah. is kind of spoiler territory. It's massively oh, no, spoiler territory. Okay. Yeah. It's just because it's been absolutely everywhere. It has yeah. been. I, I just don't think we can discuss that because it's a super duper spoiler. Like not it couldn't not be least because we haven't seen it. Is it a spoiler though as well? What are you talking about? The, the, the post credit thing. Like, yeah, I mean, it's the a post credit. Uh, yeah, either the Eminem song or yeah, the post credit yeah, song. No. Well, no. I, just, I just wonder if it is a spoiler. Because it's a massive spoiler. Yeah. A, also, we haven't seen it. So they we didn't, they it, didn't show true. it. They, I've seen, can I say? Well, you can say. Had I hypothetically seen Venom Let There Be Carnage uh, for a hypothetical interview with the hypothetical director of the film, th- then hypothetically that post credit scene was not shown to press. Yeah. Which irks. But it's been shown to Americans, so. It's been shown to Americans and it's been shown to quote unquote fans at yes. a fan screening. 
Indeed. Um, who then promptly spoiled well, that's fair, because immediately. We're, we're neither Americans nor fans. So, uh, oh, so that's clearly, okay. Clearly, yeah. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, so we can't talk about the thing that we're talking about, uh, or you know, trying to allude to it without alluding to it. But it is but, on the uh, internet if you wish to look yeah, it up. Yeah, but that's out there. If yeah. you look for Venom spoilers, and uh, we'll talk about it, in, I'm sure in a future spoiler special or something. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeedly, beadly, we will indeed. Uh, right, what else is happening in the world of movie news? I think we're pretty much done and dusted. Uh, I just want to see if there was anything else. Uh, there was something else. Kira Knightley is going to star in a film about the Boston Strangler. So is she going to play the Strangler or? Um, I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no. Uh, this is, uh, of course, interesting in the week that yeah. uh, it has been claimed that the Zodiac Killer's identity has finally been revealed. Have you seen this? Yes, yes. I did. Strange, Gary Post. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Who is it, Chris? Out them. Gary F. Post, post with an E on the end. Um, and they figured this out because... Um, I thought you were he... about to say it was F. Gary Gray, but carry on. <laughs> no, that would be, dis- that would be d- very dismaying for Fast and Furious fans. Yes, and, um, and for legal reasons, we should absolutely <laughs> make it very, Gary very clear. was not the Zodiac Killer that yes. we are aware of. No, I don't, think we, I don't think we can even add that. I think we have to say unequivocally... We can't definitively say... We, we pretty much can, what with time being okay, a factor. He would have been quite precocious. Yes, yeah, extremely yeah. so. Yes. Yeah. All right, uh, fair enough. So F. Gary Gray has, has not killed anyone. Yeah, and Ted Cruz also appears to be off the off the hook. So. Is he though? See that? Yeah, him, he, yeah. He's still on different hooks, but yeah. off this one. But yes, um, so Gary F. Post, the thing is, if you use his name, it works as a key to solve some of the amigra- anagrams and, and puzzles that the Zodiac Killer sent to... San Francisco. This sounds a lot like it was solved on Facebook. It wasn't not solved on (laughs) Facebook. I mean, or at least by a a team of amateur sleuths. Is that why Facebook went down? Because the Zodiac Killer was striking from beyond the grave. Yes. And he didn't want people to know, so he shut Facebook down for six hours, but then it got out anyway. Yes, and it came out on Twitter, I guess. Which Didn't see that coming, did he? Did you hear that? Helen just said, yes, and. Oh, well done! Well, actually, Helen. Am I? Like the raptors testing defences. Clever clever girl. girl. (laughs) Thanks. Nice thing either of you have ever said to me. um, What's her name? Keira Knightley is going to play Loretta McLaughlin, who was the first reporter to connect the murders and break the story of the Boston Strangler. Hmm. Don't know why I said it in such an exciting way, but uh, Matt Ruskin uh, will direct this movie and Ridley Scott's amongst the executive producers. The cameras should be rolling this December in Boston. Tony Curtis played the Boston Strangler, didn't he? In a film called The Boston Strangler. Good film, oh, check it out. they really thought about that one, one for a while, One of the early pioneers they? of split screen. I mean, uh, L- Lois Weber was doing that in like 1912, I'm just saying. Can we read about that in any particular book, Helen? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you've both read it already. <laughs> Haven't you? Uh, of yes. course, yes. yes. Yeah, you have, of, of course, course, read the Helen O'Hara Guide to the Greatest Superheroes, your, your magnum <laughs> opus. That's, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, right. Shall we have a guest? Oh, let's. Let's have a guest. That is it for this week's movie news. It is time now for, for a guest. F. Gary Gray, who is on the podcast to talk about... No. He's yes, it is F. Gary Gray. He was, he's here to confess to his many crimes. <laughs> The F stands for felony. <laughs> it doesn't. I feel, I feel I have to make that distinction. The F does not stand for felony. F. Gary Gray is unimpeachable. So anyway, this week the London Film Festival kicked off. It did. It did, with a big old 
Barney in a car park. No, it uh, it kicked off with the premiere of James Samuel's The Harder They Fall. And over the next two weeks or so, because it's a big old festival, the LFF, there's going to be all kinds of amazing galas and screenings and premieres of movies. And you're going to have all kinds of movie stars coming in. George Clooney's going to be coming in. Uh, we at Empire are media partners of the festival. We're proud to be so. And uh, we have our own gala, which is the Phantom of the Open, Craig Roberts' movie, The Phantom of the Open, a really beguiling, funny golf comedy starring Mark Rylance. And uh, the gala is going to be next week. So keep them peeled, actually, for hopefully a special podcast dedicated to that. Um, and one of the most interesting films at the LFF is Passing, which is Rebecca Hall's directorial debut. Incredible actress, of course, Rebecca Hall. Whip smart, if, if anyone's ever had the chance to talk to her. She's mega, 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 hella smart. Helen smart, in fact, you might even say. Clever girl. Uh, and Passing is a really interesting film. She wrote and directed it. It is based on a novella by Nella Larson, and it is about a black woman played by Tessa Thompson in the 1920s who bumps into an old high school friend of hers played by Ruth Negga uh, who is passing herself off uh, inside white society as a white woman. And her husband is oblivious to the fact that his wife is actually African-American. So it's a fascinating movie filled with questions about race and racial identity and gender equality and all the good stuff. And uh, I haven't spoken to Rebecca Hall yet. I'm hoping that it's going to happen this afternoon. So let's presume that it has happened and that a good time was had by all. And here it is, me talking to Rebecca Hall about passing, which can be seen at the LFF this month. Enjoy. We're delighted to be joined on the Emperor podcast by the writer and director of Passing, Rebecca Hall. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Excellent. Whereabouts are you at the moment? Because you're the, the, this movie's at the LFF and you're coming over next week, but you're not quite in London yet. I understand. <laughs> no, I think technically I'm in transit. I'm in, <laughs> I'm in nowhere land. I'm, I'm in the middle of um, sort of, you know, traveling to an airport to come to London. So, yes. Oh, really? So, what the, la- yeah. the last thing after this, the next thing after this is you're going to be throwing stuff in the suitcase and then the plane. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Excellent. So, <laughs> in that case, I shouldn't keep you that long. But uh, <laughs> God, what if I was responsible for you missing your flight and then you couldn't get to the LFF and there would be a whole thing? Oh, that'd be terrible. It'd be a whole thing, It'd and be, I would, yeah. I would blame you entirely. No, excellent. I would well, <laughs> it's fine. You could, you could do an appearance by Zoom, and it'd be okay, like a giant floating head in the middle of the screen. That'd be great. That's what we've been living with for the last year. So I don't see why it would be any different. Precisely. Uh, in fact, I was, I was pondering. I was, I was looking up whenever you filmed passing because I was wondering if yes. you had filmed during the pandemic or maybe just caught the cusp of the pandemic. But you filmed November twenty nineteen, so you, you missed it by a couple of months. Yeah, we were incredibly lucky. We shot the movie and we finished. It was a very short shoot. We were on a, you know, tier one budget, small budget. So we were, did, had 23 days, I believe. And then we uh, went on hiatus for a month, which in retrospect, which we hadn't because we didn't know what was coming. And then I went into the edit for about three weeks in person. And then, um, then everything shut down and the rest of post-production was, was done remotely, which I sort of think of as a blessing and a curse, honestly. In what I mean, way? I, well, I think I was very lucky to not know any different. You know, post was the was the one area that I was really um, entirely naive about and didn't know how it was going to go. But I think it probably also made me quite adaptable. I, I loved being in a room with the editor, but I also I loved the 
the the time stretch that COVID allowed me um, sort of really benefited editing a film oddly because we got into this we did we decided very quickly Sabine Hoffman my editor and I decided pretty quickly that doing a sort of Zoom work session was going to be too frustrating. Mm-hmm. So we settled on, because we're already quite far in at this point, we settled on individually sort of studying five minute chunks of the film. And then I would write a very sort of detailed email to her, you know, saying things like at 2.4 seconds, I think that there's a, we need to shave five frames off and then we need to cut back to the wide or can we try doing this? And she would then do the do that execute it and then it would take about two hours to upload whatever that sort of three to five minute chunk was and I had this sort of strange sort of wait time frequently throughout the day of two hours where I was just waiting for something that would usually take 30 seconds to be done in front of me to to arrive in my inbox and I would walk around the garden and just sort of contemplate it and it actually was quite useful Just to be, I mean, I think better on my own anyway. So the sort of quiet and the still and not being, not being in sort of rooms with people sort of saying, have you tried this? And don't you think about this? I was, I found quite fruitful, honestly. This is fantastic. I I think the, I think the pandemic has, has quietly introduced us all to new ways of working that, you know, we're, 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 and have revealed the fact that the old way, yeah, it was fine, but do we really need to do it like that? So maybe you well, pioneered this new workflow. Film. It was, it was, you know, a similar slowed down process. Digital, I think, has really sped up the editing process. I mean, not that I have experience any other way, but there's something to be said for 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 the slowdown. I think you, you your perspective doesn't get so um so quickly clouded because you you know I think the rapidity somehow you get very immersed and then you can't you, you lose perspective faster weirdly i want to talk obviously about the story of passing ben mm. and how the movie came about for you because i think it's a fascinating story mm. but i also want to talk about what you said there was really interesting to me the idea that you know post-production is something that you've had very little experience of mm. Uh, mm. as a director and that of course makes perfect sense because as as an actor, you would have been in so many movie sets and you would have been sitting at the shoulders of so many great directors watching them, I, I guess, over the years, watching the way they, they work, yeah. and maybe magpieing little bits and pieces of, of what they were doing. Yeah, very much so. For the day that you'd yeah. be on set yourself. And so I want to talk a little bit about those three separate distinct phases of the process for you. So you mm. have that that directing onset experience. Mm. Post we talked about, I mean, the, the idea that that is, that is something that where if you're work shadowing or you're shadowing a director, you wouldn't necessarily get to see the post process. Right. And then, of course, there's the writing process as well. Mm. You say that you prefer being on your own, you prefer being quite solitary uh, in that way. So I imagine writing passing was Heaven. fairly yeah. easy for you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I love the writing process. It's really, I love that sort of immersion of problem solving and, I don't know, just being very intensely in involved in something um the focus of it and but i don't i don't know like i i feel that the writing process to me came quite instinctively i I, i've always been a writer actually and i've all i just don't necessarily haven't necessarily made it a career or showed anyone it but i always sort of like it's a sort of way of processing the world and understanding things for me has always been to write things down the the part of the adaptation part came quite naturally in a in a funny way and i've felt it had to be quite instinctive it's such a sort of elusive and sort of 
sensual book in many ways. And I found my way into it was about trying to trying to understand the, the atmosphere that it created in me when I read the book and then somehow tonally recreate that. And that was sort of quite instinctive. And when I came to post, I was sort of, I was sort of nervous going into it. I mean, there were some film jobs that I've had where I, you know, have got close enough to the directors that I've said, Hey, do you mind if I come and sit in the edit for a little while? Mm -hmm. And they have let me. Um, so it's not like I was going in completely blind. Yes, cool. What is that? But, Who is that person? Yeah. What are they, what are they doing? <laughs> I mean, there were, there was some of that. I was like, what does a post-production supervisor do? Oh, I think. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, when it came to doing, when it came to being in the edit, it was so familiar actually, because the process is, is very similar to the writing process. You know, the sort of putting the pieces together and, and repuzzling everything and, and responding to, to, to the sort of the flow and the rhythms of things instinctively. I mean, felt very, very similar to writing to me. And I loved it. I loved it. I could have, I could have carried on editing this film probably for the rest of my life. I mean, it's well done. Just keep tinkering. And it, the game for me was always about making it simpler as well, which was really, you know, which was really fun because I just thought that everything about the book is so pared down and minimal in so many ways. And it, it's, that's what allows its complexity. And that, so that was the sort of guiding principle of the edit as well as like how, how, how few cutaways can I do? How, how much of this scene can play out in one shot? How much distance and perspective shifts and all this sort of stuff. I loved all that. Did you storyboard a lot? Did you, uh, had you prepared? I storyboarded everything. Yeah. yeah. I did it by hand kind of crudely. I mean, I, I draw a lot on paint, so it was not, it was something that I was doing for my own pleasure anyway. And I felt like it was a way of, of getting the visual language down. And, you know, Angela Robinson, who directed me and Professor Marston and the Wonder Woman, and was also a, an EP on this. She was really someone that I lent on a great deal in, in, in asking questions when I felt, you know, a bit rookie-ish. And, and one of the things that she said to me is, you know, half of the job is constantly describing what's in your head to everybody on the crew and it's never done like don't ever think that they've got it like just keep repeating it until you feel like you're a crazy person <laughs> and part of that process of repeating the the vision repeating the thing was was just drawing it actually and just showing people and also playing them the music um, mm. I, I do want to ask about how you yeah. happened upon passing in the first place and the, I know you've talked in the past about the uh, the, the 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 personal awakening that mm -hmm. it, uh, it it almost instilled in you as well, mm -hmm. and I wonder if you could talk a, bit, a little bit about that. The first time you ran into the the into the 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 novella, how much did you know about the story? Were you expecting, in a way, to chime with it on a personal level? And at what point did you think, you know, what I'm seeing this in my head? This could be this could be the movie I direct. I I picked it up sort of thinking that it that I that I would chime with it a bit because I I was sort of it was at the point when I was just beginning to understand that there was a historical context for what my grandfather must have done and you know in turn what he passed on to my mother and what she passed on to me is you know that he did through through the decision to to pass white, he was African-American in, this was in Detroit in the, you know, 30s, 40s, 50s. He sort of erased a part of mine and my mother's heritage and history. And 
I, I knew that he, I sort of had a vague understanding that he was black. And, and also I had growing up with my mother, looking at her and thinking she looks like a black woman to me, but this is not really how we're talking about things. So what does that mean? But that was sort of all I had, honestly, Mm. I didn't have a framework like the word passing or a historical understanding that this was something that many, many um, black Americans did to try and get a better life in a very racist society. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I read the book, I was expecting to have some sort of like, you know, context for that. I think what I wasn't expecting was all the other things that it does. Um, because it ends up using racial passing as a metaphor for any way in which, crudely speaking, our insides don't match up with our outsides. You know, I think Nella Larson is interested in this sort of place where identity is formed, which is somewhere between the story that you tell about yourself to the world, project to the world, and the one that the world puts on you. Um, And the sort of ways in which we spill out in between that um, and how much categorizations can be limiting, actually. Um, that's really the, at the core of the book because it's not it's not actually about the the woman who's passing white. It's the it's about the woman who's who's not passing, yeah. but is passing in every other sense. Yeah. <laughs> and the effect that that woman has on that makes her realize that. And that was kind of a revelation to me because it felt so modern, and I had so much to relate to in it as a woman, as you know now as a mother as well. And a, you know, it's there's a there's a I found it to be just um, extraordinary. And you asked me sort of when the, the idea to make it into a film happened. And that's a complicated question for me because almost immediately as I was reading it, I started having ideas. And actually there are some, there are some ideas and shots that kind of came out of the first read 13 years ago that are still in the movie, remarkably. And not a lot, but a couple. <laughs> okay, wow. So it was very strong and I sort of shut the book and immediately started writing the screenplay. I mean, I'm not, that's not an um, anecdote or an exaggeration. It's true. I literally shut the book and opened my laptop and started typing. Um, and I think I was only really able to do that because I had no intention of turning it into a movie. I was like, I'd be out of my mind. I mean, I know I, I, at the time I was like, I want to be a director. I want to make films. It's all I've ever really wanted to do. Shush, don't tell my agents. But like, <laughs> but um, I'd be crazy to make this my first film. I mean, obviously I want it to be black and white. It's a period film. Obviously I want it to be 4-3. These were all ideas that I had then. Yeah. So it gave me freedom to just adapt it so I could sit with the book longer. Um, I think if I'd thought I was really going to do it, I would never have achieved the adaptation, oddly. And then it was then it was about, I don't know, six years of it being in a drawer and me sort of still coming back to it and thinking about it, trying to write other things and not being as inspired, I guess, with them and coming back to it again. And then I started showing it to people and people started giving me confidence to actually do something with it by saying it was good. And then I tinkered with it more. And, and then there was, you know, the six years of actually trying to practically really get it made, which was a whole other thing. And, you know, then there were more tinkerings and production drafts and all of that. 
Of course. And uh, yeah, I, I, for example, I noticed on the uh, on the movie that there are about, I didn't count entirely, but there's something like seven or eight <laughs> production companies and distributors who are, who, are, yeah. who are credited at the beginning of the movie. And that obviously speaks to me of the independent movie experience, which yes. is... Yeah. Well, it wasn't an easy film to get made. And, and I sort of, on some level, you know, part of me understands that. Like, I understand I, I was a first-time filmmaker. I was asking to make a very formally ambitious and, you know, film that which translates to finances as artsy and therefore utterly uncommercial. So it was, you know, it was, it was hard about controversial subject matter, you know, in black and white, period. It was just, it was, it was never going to be easy. I mean, it doesn't mean that there's another chunk of me that isn't furious about the fact that it wasn't easy to get financed, especially since there's an enormous amount of black and white films coming out this year, in fact. Yeah. So it's like, um, it, 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 there's a certain irony there somehow. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously you, you got it made. And I want to ask about if everything, if the writing process was instinctive to you, the mm. the shooting of the movie, what was that like for you? The the your first day, for example, I I always like to ask directors this: uh, how how <laughs> prepared were you? My first day was so uh, comedic. <laughs> oh really? <laughs> yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I mean, I spent the sort of last couple of weeks of pre-production imagining that I would be, you know, quietly throwing up into a trash can on set because I would be so nervous on my first day. And then my family actually got stomach flu the weekend that we started shooting. <laughs> and on the first day of shooting, I too had it. <laughs> oh. And I, we were shooting outside in a, we were doing the scene in the car, in fact, between Irene and Brian. Um, so we were in a, uh, a very jankety process trailer uh, that we, the only one that we could afford. And I was, my producer was holding a bucket and it was awful. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and because we were outside, there was also a bunch of paparazzi on the street. So I was trying to simultaneously not throw up, try and be taken seriously as a director and not get packed doing it. So it was a whole, it was a very <laughs> ridiculous <laughs> ridiculous first day as a director as far as they go so how how did you keep hold of yourself uh in terms of sheer passing adrenaline. on direction really i mean sheer adrenaline i knew that it i knew that the stakes were so high i knew that we had so few days to get what i needed to get so there was no there was no stopping you know there was no holding back and we just had to plow on i don't think the cast knew i was sick i hid it from everybody so everywhere you know we just and i didn't go near them you know i was talking to them through the walkie all day and they were like what's up <laughs> she's really cold and distant as a director i didn't expect this at all and the next day i was right you know we luckily i mean the thing is luckily during pre-production i had insisted on some rehearsals so we were actually very we were actually in a very good place for that scene because we'd rehearsed it a bunch that the previous week and in terms of being a director i mean obviously you've worked with amazing directors over the years as your own father was an incredible director but how much how, in terms of being the director that you wanted to be mm. Was that was that essentially how you approached things? You know that you wanted to be the director that you would want to have as an actor. I don't know that it's as simple as that, really. I mean, okay, one would think that, but I think the one thing I learned from getting to watch so many different directors work is that 
there are so many different ways to do it well. You know, there's not a formula that works particularly universally. So, you know, the one thing that, and I think that I, what I take away from that is that there's only really your way because that's what's going to make your film. So I suppose that gave me a lot of strength and confidence to trust my instincts and find my own kind of way into it. Um, The one great lesson that I learned from my father actually was, was that so much of directing is about reading a room a little bit, (laughs) you know, understanding people, understanding what they need. Like certainly when it, and I think this speaks to all of the departments, but certainly when it comes to actors, you know, every actor needs something different. And every project might need something different in order to get to the place that you need it to get to. And one of the most important things you can do as a director is identify what people need in order to do their best work and support them with that. I always remember my father on the first day of rehearsals for a theatre gig, he'd, mm. I'd just watch him sort of watch the room, watch how everyone was interacting, you know, when they were having cups of tea and, and he was sort of spotting who were the people that needed more attention or needed less or you know he sort of was sort of trying to absorb that and I think that was that set me in a good stead. That's interesting because there must be an element as well and I'm sure your your father encountered this there must be an element as well of people going into that room (laughs) there's a performative element to go into a room like that to an extent as well. And perhaps Absolutely. not revealing entirely yourself, perhaps being aware Absolutely. that there might be someone watching. Social performance, of course. Yeah. Everyone's involved in a sort of social performance. I mean, that's actually one of the large themes of the movie. Yes. <laughs> there is an awful lot of social performance <laughs> going on. So, yeah, it's um, that's true. But it's still that's trying true. to pick your way through, lad. And, and, yeah, and- but you can, you can tell a lot from that too, I think. Yeah. Well, um, well, I'm going to let you go now, Rebecca, but it's it, this entire process, you know, it's taken so long and from, from reading the book for the first time to instinctively adapting it, which blows my mind, <laughs> like you just basically sat down and started adapting it. And now you're out the other side, the, the movie is finished, it's about to come out. Um, what has it taught you this whole, this whole process? Has it, has it allowed you to reconcile a little bit with, 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 issues that you were having even on some sort of subconscious level oh I mean it's given me so much I mean before I went into this process I wasn't a director and a writer and now I am so it's it's given me everything and uh, more than that I, I I know that I am you know it's not a sort of there's no timidity around it anymore there's no sort of like backing away from it it's it is what I want to do I love it I love being a filmmaker I love telling stories but I, and also it's given me so much personally, it's given my family so much, this sort of huge aspect of our history of our lives that felt, you know, the, the legacy of any, of passing on any family is that there's this thing that, that feels like it can't be spoken about. Mm. And 
you know, I guess by making a massive movie about it all and telling everyone very publicly, I've uh, stopped that trend. <laughs> <laughs> indeed, indeed. And of course, you're not going to be, you know, like a Charles Lawton and make one movie as a director and then never direct again. This is I the really beginning. I hope not. I mean, he made a really good one. I watched that one a lot, actually, when it came to this film. <laughs> um, he made a really good one. So I suppose if you make one that good, then you're like, peace out, I'm done. I get it. <laughs> but, um, I don't know that I don't know that I, I I'm yeah I'm not done I've got more to say I think excellent well, fantastic well I'm not going to stop you from getting to the airport uh, it'd be terrible if you missed the LFF on my account so it's been an <laughs> absolute pleasure I'm glad to go Rebecca Hall thanks so much Steve, for your time thank you so much bye now thank you bye-bye Okay, so that was Rebecca Hall. And as I say, Passing will be out later on in the year. It's going to be on Netflix and in selected cinemas, but it is available to see this month at the LFF. So go to the London Film Festival website for more details about that. It is well worth your time. Speaking of movies that are well worth people's time, shall we tell people about what's been out this week on the multiplex and in the sofaplex, indeed, folks? And in the wake of No Time to Die... (laughs) everybody's running scared (laughs) everyone's running for the hills a little bit haven't they Uh, until next week they've given like a two week buffer and then every movie ever made comes out next week it's it's insane it's uh, like it's a genuinely mad mad release schedule I think we've got seven films worth talking about next week and 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 very few this week and some of them are massive some of them are massive massive So, so next week we have Venom, we have The Last Duel, we have Halloween Kills, we have The Beta Test, mm-hmm. we have Ron's Gone Wrong, mm-hmm. and we have two more that I'm forgetting. Yeah, uh, Velvet Underground, the, Velvet Underground, Ted Ho- yes, Todd Haynes. and Never Gonna Snow Again, another yep. festival hit that's, that's got a lot of attention. And that's not even counting the stuff that's coming out on Netflix and yeah. Prime Video, oh, so next week's going to be crazy. We may have to do a supersized review section, we may oh, have God. to split it into two parts. James is what? Why? You'll just watch one as usual. Yeah. It's fine. That's true. And then, and then That's demand true. delete on it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I'll, I'll do the fun. I'll do Venom. I'll do the fun one. No, 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 James. You should. Uh, you should watch the last duel. No. No. Venom. <laughs> That's Venom. a little insight into our working practices, there, folks. Yep. Uh, anyway, so that means that this week there's not a great deal. Uh, there's not a great deal that's ripe for the picking. However, there are a couple of decent movies that are out this week, um, and there's also Infinite. Which is the new film from? <laughs> come on, it is a new film from Antoine Fuqua, uh, beloved of this podcast. Every time he's on the podcast, we have an absolute blast. And uh, this is a movie he made. It was originally going to be made with your your pal Chris Evans. Oh, Chris really? Evans mm. was going to be in this movie. And until he read the script. He read the script. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, until he um, had mysterious scheduling conflicts. I've got to do another movie. Uh, you wouldn't know it. It goes, it goes to a different high school. Um, <laughs> I've, got, I've got to go to do a different movie. It's in Canada. And uh, so he had to go and leave uh, Infinite. And then so Mark Wahlberg stepped in uh, very, very late in the day to replace Chris Evans in this story of a man who, how would you describe this, Hells? Look, uh, it, it, I would say that, like Uncle Boon Me, he can recall his past lives. <laughs> is this your way of saying this is the only movie you've seen, so you would like to lead on it? No, no. I just, I just, I just, I, I need, I need to talk about this I do, film yeah, with someone. I, I, and this, I think, yeah, yeah, we, I think we, we need this. like a group therapy session yep, yep. because I watched this film and I was like, I was like, you know, we, we've had the amuse bouche from Antoine Fuqua. We watched The Guilty last week, so a little bit. And then, oh, look, another one. And it's one of these things I was like, oh, this was a Paramount film. It was going to be theatrical. Why have they flogged it to Netflix for like a packet of crisps? And then it was like, oh, Amazon. oh sorry. Amazon. Why have they flogged it to Amazon? Amazon for like 50p and you're like oh 
that's why. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because the, the, the idea is it's sure, a solid idea. Sure. So reincarnation. There are, there are there are five hundred or so souls on Earth who keep getting reincarnated and yep. remember their mm-hmm. past lives and therefore can build these skills like over, over generations and generations. So like Mark Wahlberg, for some reason, knows how to forge a, a Japanese sword from the whatever century. Um, and uh, they have all these crazy skills. And, and one faction of them, the believers, try to make the world a better place. And the other <laughs> faction, the nihilists, are like, fuck this, we want to stop living over and over again. Oh, oh my God, just kill everybody on Earth to get it over with. And that there's your setup. The problem is there is more exposition in this film than I think there is dialogue. I mean, I feel like I feel like 110 percent of the film is just exposition. I enjoyed the voiceover at the beginning, where you're just thinking, "This, this is a man who is just reading this shit, going, what on earth am I saying?'" Is <laughs> and we're the infinites, and then there are the nihilists, and there's a magic egg that will default def- destroy all life on Earth. Oh, did we tell you about the shotgun, the soul-sucking shotgun? What was it's that? It's just it's one of these things where you're like. They've got gimmicky effects. They've got, oh, let's have an idea. Let's have let's have a, have a really cool idea. A car where if you press a button, the steering wheel sucks into the dashboard and then fucking springs forward on the passenger side because that's the sort of thing what that would make Bron jealous. Why, jealous. Yeah. though? What, no, why is that helpful? Something has happened to have made that necessary. Well, I mean, like, it's... It's, it's, it's like, very, Greek, we're in Europe! <laughs> it'd be very handy if you were, like, going through the channel all the time, yeah, wouldn't it? It'd be yeah, great, but completely. for, for no, right there's no other drive. reason to have it. Yeah, I just, I, it's, it's just the thing is, it, they seem to think that these ideas uh, compensate for a lack of absolutely everything else. Genuinely, I just had no idea what was happening in this film. And then, bless him, Chiwetel Ejiofor. And, I, and I've, I've always loved this about Mark Wahlberg, how Mark Wahlberg treats any old shit like it's Shakespeare. Like, he gives a thousand fucking percent to every performance he does, regardless of how terrible. And genuinely, I do respect that about him. Like, he's not snooty about it. He really throws himself into this, but it's so stupid. Uh, and Chiwetel Ejiofor, who plays the uh, the villain, whose name is Helen... I don't remember. No. He, who's na- who has a name? A villain who has a name and a shotgun, and it's really you know, and just sort of growls his way around the place when he's not being waterboarded with petrol in the middle of a church. So that was for that's a thing. reasons to make him b- better I or something? Don't I don't know. know. I didn't understand what was going on in this film. It's such gibbering nonsense. Bathurst 2020. That's Bathurst. the one. <laughs> Bathurst 2020. But also, why would those be their names? Because they have these names yes. that sound vaguely kind of English, kind like, of, I don't know. He plays Harry Treadaway. Yeah, six, and- yeah 16 hundreds on let's yeah. say english and and yet you know they've known each other for like millennia like shouldn't they be addressing each other as ozymandias yeah, or something yeah. like it should be a bit cooler. it's shit highlander i mean it it's really shit is highlander. it's just that's what it is genuinely wow. terrible <laughs> it's genuinely ter- highlander is no, shit highlander no, what does sh- that make you this stop you take that back you take that <laughs> back i'm right taking now. nothing back i'm saying this is worse than highlander 3 the sorcerer and i'm standing by none. that oh you are a wow. terrible human being okay this is just awful there's as i said is a magic egg in fact speaking of magic there is actually a point in this <laughs> like a kinder where surprise he actually like for no reason and i can't emphasize enough how this is not even addressed in the plot there is a point where one of the characters uses a kind of weird magic and you're not sure what the magic does other than he sticks his hand out and you're not sure what the purpose is yeah, or where it comes to, from like, bend air yeah, around himself but they or never something? address it no. or mention it or understand why it's there and it's just a thing and I feel like that's maybe like the vestige of like an older cut or an older version of the but screenplay thing, but they have so much exposition and yet so much is unexplained because oh, there's no joined up thinking in this story whatsoever gibberish yeah it's not great is there a sense that this one might have been cut to ribbons at maybe. some point yeah and maybe. stuck back together with, I've not it's just based you know, on a novel which I've not read I, I, look I, I feel like it's 
on paper, it's something that we should have really enjoyed. Yes, 100%, because this is totally my jam, and, isn't it? It's yeah. absolute like, stupid sci-fi nonsense fancy drivel, and that exactly. is my brand. Super, super on brand, yeah. and yet it's just not... You can never sink into it because it doesn't have enough um, confidence in itself. Yeah. It's completely. It doesn't incoherent. know what it wants to be, mm. and and you're you know Sophie Cookson is in it, and you're looking at her like, is she a love interest? I really hope not, because she's like half his age. <laughs> she isn't, but it's not clear. There's there's a nice scene in a uh, police station, which I like to think was a nod to Kunden. There was a clever bit of like uh, the, the the a car chase that follows that scene. I thought was I, like I literally haven't seen that before. So there were there were moments that were like, okay, I can see that there's a glimpse of something here. Somebody has a point. Somebody has a point of view. That's clever. And then it would be followed by total nonsense again. So it just, I really struggled to. Yeah. Yeah. So did I. I, I, I struggled to maintain interest. Eye contact with the screen. <laughs> oh, yes, indeed. Exactly that. Yes. I struggled to look at the screen during this film. Okay. It, it, this is one of these things. If you're ever wondering what the answer to the question, how bad could it really be, is watch Infinite on Amazon now. Or watch Infinity War instead. Yes. There you go. Yes. Yes, this is a movie that was um, placed lovingly, shall we say, because I think the word dumped has all sorts of <laughs> negative connotations, uh, on Paramount Plus, the uh, oh-so-successful streaming service uh, of Paramount. And this was months ago, came out months ago uh, in the States, and was meant to come out here at some point. And then I looked at, literally, this is how it worked, I looked at Prime Video last week, because I saw some people on the Empire Facebook page going, oh, I might watch Infinite tonight. I go, how are you going to watch Infinite? Are you video pirates? Are you unaware that video piracy is a crime do and that you should, do it. not accept it? <laughs> uh, I, was, I was getting very excited. I was going to call fact and get a thousand quid for Can you still do that? Can you still Probably get a thousand no quid idea. for dropping people in? Uh, and then I checked Prime Video and lo and behold, it had just shown up there mm. without warning. Because it, it was going to get a theatrical release in the States. It got pushed because yeah. of COVID and then eventually they just dumped it on Paramount+. Then they Plus. saw it and they went, mm. okay. Mm. Uh, so now it is on Prime Video. So, so there you go. Uh, and this week as well, Speaking of movies that have come out almost without warning, there's a movie I was hugely excited about, which is the new Steven Soderbergh movie, mm. No mm. Sudden Move. All-star cast. Yeah. Phenomenal cast. If you could put Don Cheadle in your movie, put Don Cheadle in your movie. And if you could put loads of other great people in your movie, like Benicio Del Toro, then put Benicio Del Toro in your movie, written by Ed Solomon, uh, who is, of course, one of the co-creators of Bill and Ted. And uh, this is Steven Soderbergh returning to a crime flick. Mm. Worth the wait, Hell's Bells? It's out on Sky Cinema this weekend. I would say yes. Um, <laughs> I, uh, this is a film that is, you really have to be paying attention. It gives you yeah. no easy run up. And, and you know, if we had too much exposition in Inf Infinite, we could maybe take <laughs> yeah. like 5% yeah, of it some. and put it in here because it really just throws you in. But basically, Kurt, who is um, Don Cheadle's character, is hired by Doug Jones, not that one. He works for Doug Jones. <laughs> Doug Jones! He's played by Brendan Fraser, and it's always good to see Brendan Fraser again. But he and Ronald Russo, played by Benicio Del Toro, are, are, are picked up to, to basically babysit the family of a man who these criminals in charge of them are, go are trying to get to rob something from his boss's safe. So the man is David Harbour. Yeah. He's being sent to take something from his boss's safe. Um, along with Roman Roy. Along with Kieran Culkin, yeah. Yeah, who is going to babysit him while um, Kurt and Ronald, Don and Benicio, you know, hold his family hostage, basically. That's the setup. And then everything goes wrong mm -hmm. because the paper isn't where it's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And so... There's there's a price on both Don and Benicio's heads. 
David Harbour is still trying to get the piece of paper. Everybody's still trying to get the piece of paper that they need from the safe, which wasn't in the safe in the first place. Mm-hmm. There's um, a lot of marital cheating going on. There's a lot of complicated interpersonal relationships. There are several different crime bosses who are kind of looming over this whole lot. There's the people who actually own the piece of paper who are concerned <laughs> with its fate. There's a lot. It's wonderfully convoluted. It's very it's convoluted. so complicated. And apart from the fact that John Hamm turns up as a detective or an FBI agent, yeah. it's not entirely clear how all these people interact and interrelate initially. So it, it is very complicated, but it's also amazing people being quite cool. So I had quite a good time when I could follow what was happening. I have a question. Like The whole film is shot through what looks like the peephole in someone's front door. It's shot within like an aggressively wide-angled lens. And I found it quite distracting. I mean, is that just me? I know what you mean. I didn't find it distracting, though. But it is, yeah, you're, you're at a remove from it. It doesn't want to, yeah. I don't think it wants you to identify really with anybody, maybe. Yeah, it's, it's a strange one. I, I really struggled to follow what the fuck was going on through part of this in a different way to Infinite. Mm. Anyway, incredible, incredible cast. Yeah. We haven't even mentioned Amy Simons, uh, Noah Jupe, yeah. uh, Julia Fox, yeah. uh, other Bill people Duke. that I won't mention. Bill yeah. Duke, yeah. Yeah. but other people I won't mention for fear of spoilers. Yeah. But like, mm-hmm. really, really good people. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, good to see Bill Duke back with uh, Steven Soderbergh. Mm. I think the last time they worked together was on The Limey. Mm. I've said this in the podcast before, but it has one of my favorite lines in the history of cinema, which is when Terrence Stamp bursts into Bill Duke's office and embarks upon this massive rant involving a lot of Cockney rhyming slang because he's a limey in it. And uh, when he's finished his tirade, Bill Duke, with all the calm that Bill Duke can muster, which is a lot. As you'll know, this is a man who's fought both the Predator and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Mm. So he's, he's pretty calm under pressure. He says, uh, there's just one thing I didn't understand. The thing I didn't understand is every motherfucking <laughs> word you just said. That's right. It is phenomenally good. That, he's that the Duke. Line. He a is number one. Well, he's not the Duke. Yeah, he's not the Duke. No, Jonathan but he is, Dukas he is, is the Duke. Yeah, he is a, a Duke. Yeah. Is he? I was, yeah. I was quoting Escape from New York. It's fine. I know, but yeah, but I was... <laughs> oh dear. Trampling jokes. Yeah. I just no butted this podcast to an end. We don't have official Empire reviews for either No Sudden Move or Infinite. Uh, but just give them anywhere between zero and infinite stars, and yeah. I think you'd be fine. Infinite stars for infinite, definitely. Inf- yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a movie that keeps on giving. And we'll be hopefully talking to Ed Solomon as well uh, about No Sudden Move on the podcast, maybe even doing a spoiler special. Uh, so keep them peeled for that. And if you are looking for spoiler specials, then you've got loads coming your way. So a spoiler special went up for this week for nobody. But along with the What If spoiler special, we've got Freaky coming your way. We've got The Green Knight coming your way with director... David Lowry, we've got No Time to Die. We've got a couple of spoiler specials from No Time to Die, actually. We're going to have, hopefully, the last duel with the co-writer, mm. Nicole Holofcener. We're going to be doing, what else, Helen? What else is June? June! With Denny Villeneuve. Woo. That's going to be coming up your way as well. Last Night in Soho with Edgar Wright and Christy Wilson-Kearns. Basically, what I'm saying is, the water is lovely. Come on in. And if you haven't already subscribed uh, and you want access to our incredible archive of 200-plus spoiler specials then um, then then do so empireonline.com forward slash spoiler specials for more details of how to sign up the last film this week again no official Empire review is John and the Hole starring Michael C. Hall another excellent Hall he is <laughs> darn we met we left him out before we did leave him out this is, we were Hallist <laughs> we he's were. not a it's not kids in the hall this one is kids in the hole <laughs> 
Wow. <laughs> wow. That <laughs> happens. Okay. Yeah. Good stuff. Uh, so this one stars, it actually kind of really stars Charlie Shotwell um, as his son, John. Uh, Michael C. Hall and uh, Jennifer Ely play the parents. Uh, Tysa Farmiga is his older sister. But John is a quiet kid. He is relatively well behaved. He seems okay. And then he puts his entire family in a hole in the ground. Seems fair. And leaves them there and decides to just, you know, live his life without them. Sure. So it's a very strange film because it sometimes cuts to another family and you're like, what's what's that happening? What what's what's up with that? And it doesn't really explain itself. So that but there's an element of almost fairy tale logic about his all of this. Whole family in a hole. I thought this was well done. I thought it was well acted. It's very well shot. It's set in the most beautiful house in the woods. Like definitely we should move in there immediately and fill up the hole in the backyard. <laughs> With, with people? Uh, ASAP? No, no, no. Just like, well, just, I mean, maybe with some people. Okay, be sure. Bad, but no. Um, but it's just, it didn't seem to really build anything. It didn't really go anywhere. I wasn't 100% clear on what it was trying to tell me, except that, you know, some people are awful. And I wasn't sure what beyond that. You know, this is uh, John is a kid, and he's a very privileged kid. They're in a they're a very well off family. You know, they they seem to maybe not be massively demonstrative, but they clearly love him. There's there's clear care there. He's not neglected or abused that we're aware of, and yet he also doesn't seem like a total irredeemable psychopath. It's it's not a story of the monster within. It's you know, so it's I don't know what it was particularly trying to say beyond the fact that people can just be mysteries to ourselves and each other, even to those closest to us. Maybe that's all it was. I don't so know. would you say your endorsement is not wholehearted? <laughs> you know what, I will just to allow you that pun. But, Does uh, it's Michael not... C give it his haul? <laughs> uh, he's good. He's kind of the slightly remote father figure, the, the slightly clueless father figure, but not again, not, not mm. the worst we've seen. You know? So you'd say Michael C plus haul more than... <laughs> oh boy. Oh lord. Anyway, on that note, right? Oh no. On that note... Uh, there's nothing else this week you want to talk about, is there? No, you discussed the guilty last week, right? Yeah, yes, yeah. we did. Yes, we yeah. did. The the good Antoine Fuqua movie that's out this month. We gave it four stars now, officially. Yes. Four stars. I'm unsure why, but we did. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't have gone all that way myself, but okay. There you go. Guilty, guilty, guilty. And on that note, that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Uh, join us next week for more film related fun when we'll have. A celebrity Ooh. in the fourth revolving chair, Jim Cummings, well, hey. who is the star and director of, co-director, in fact, of The Beta Test and uh, previously Thunder Road and The Wolf of Snow Hollow, is uh, going to be in this very booth with us next week uh, talking about all sorts of stuff. And then we'll ask him to leave while we talk about his movie. Uh, because Not because it's bad, but that's just because that's what we do. And it would be unprofessional, quite frankly, to discuss a movie in front of the man who directed it, um, unless we get him to review it. I think that's fine. There's a loophole there, uh, mm-hmm. clearly. But yes, Jim Cummings is going to be on next week's show. We're also going to be joined by Todd Haynes. Cool. Todd Haynes, who has directed a documentary about the Velvet Underground entitled The Velvet Underground. Mm. So check that one out. It's going to be on Apple. So looking forward to that as well. But until then, until we meet again, until that auspicious occasion, it is goodbye for my two colleagues of such lethal cunning. James Dyer. <laughs> I see what you did there. You said my name and you pointed to Helen and you confused her a lot. No, no, he did this yesterday. I was prepared. Oh, I, it's just a new thing he does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. It's a new thing, James. I see. It's a new thing. That's very good. Goodbye, James. Good, good, goodbye, Christopher. Goodbye, Goodbye, James. James.
<laughs> for England, Chris. For England, Alex. <laughs> Buy me a pint. <laughs> it is goodbye, of course, from Helen O'Hara. Toodaloo. <laughs> I don't know what's happening. Ah, uh, yes, indeed. Uh, Off the lusty bag this weekend, are we? Or are we just, um, what are we? What, what are <laughs> a quick nip tipper. Sad, sadly. Nip tipper? <laughs> nip tipper. Nip tipper. That could be an alternative to the, to the tip nipper. A nip tipper. It sounds a little less scary. It does. Yeah. <laughs> we broke a Chris. That was it. That was the final straw. <laughs> nip tipping, tip nipping. It's like whatever goes on and what happens at Lusty Beg, Helen, stays at Lusty Beg. <laughs> oh, dear. Anyway, it is goodbye from me as well. I am off to race home to interview Rebecca Hall, our favourite Hall. Our favourite Hall. And lobby, lobby hard, uh, lobby hard for the implementation. Of nip tippers. <laughs> and nip tip tippers nippers. everywhere. Nip tippers? Tip Sh- nippers. Shirley. Tip tippers. Why? <laughs> Either <laughs> ones. Both. Whatever. Oh, yeah, mate. <laughs> I thought you didn't want tip nippers everywhere. No, 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 no. I, I don't want them everywhere. I don't want the actual snakes well, everywhere. I mean, that's I what you said. A brown ago. snake, tip nipper. <laughs> mate, you've got a tip nipper on your tip. Mm. No. Mm-mm. No. Thank you. And on that no but. Oh, God. No but. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. See you next time. Bye.